Hi, this is John. And today on Theocast, we are going to be tackling emotions, affections, and feelings as it relates to your assurance in Jesus Christ. A very prominent evangelical recently said to define saving faith apart from feelings is futile. That's a pretty strong statement, and we're going to try and do our best to look at Scripture, history, and the confessions and answer the question, do we find assurance based upon our feelings, or is our security in Christ more than a feeling? We hope you enjoy. A simple way for you to help support Theocast and join the Reformation is by shopping at Amazon. That's right. Everything that you purchase there, they will take a percentage of it and donate it to our ministry. All you have to do is go to smile.amazon.com and then search for Theocast Inc. and choose us as the supporting donation. To learn more about this and other ways of supporting us, you can go to theocast.org slash give. Welcome to Theocast, encouraging weary pilgrims to rest in Christ. Conversations about the Christian life from a Reformed perspective. Today, our hosts are Justin Perdue, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church, and Jimmy Bueller's with us today, believe it or not, pastor of Christ Community Church in Wilmer, Minnesota, and I am John Moffitt, pastor of Grace Reformed Church in Spring Hill, Tennessee. Gentlemen, specifically Jimmy, it's good to be around the microphones today with all three of us, makes the conversations a little more lively, especially when Jimmy comes in as hot as he is today. <laughs> That's my out. I try, I try my best. Duh. I try my best to keep things spicy. Yeah. Jim, Jim, the, the, we haven't heard from you in a while, so why don't you, uh, why don't you give us an update? What's going on in, in the, the state of Minnesota? Uh, the state of Minnesota. So the classic thing to do in Minnesota is you talk about the weather. So just know that it's still bone-chillingly cold, <laughs> and that's all that needs to be said. John has experienced yeah. that. Uh, he has mm. experienced Wilmer cold, well, so he knows. Not, yeah, even video not footage. minus 30. That's when you called no. me the other day and told me it was minus 30. I, I didn't experience that. Yeah, that was that was cold. But honestly, the, the big thing that's going on uh, just in our life uh, is kind of twofold. So our church is is up and rolling, and so yeah. which is good news, and it's exciting news. We've got Home fellowship groups that meet. We have a men's ministry that's meeting. We've rolled out, you know, systematically catechizing our kids and our families, which is exciting. Uh, and I've also re-signed a contract to come back to the school that I teach at bivocationally to come back next year, which kind of just takes a little bit of that financial pressure off of us as a family. Yeah. Uh, it's not without its challenge, as many who listen who perhaps are bivocational or who sure. worship at a church where the pastor is bivocational. You're just less available for your people and for your family, which is difficult. So pray for us in that regard. But it's also, just financially speaking, it just takes a lot of that load off. Um, yeah. So it's exciting. The The school is glad to have me back and might be rolling out a Christian theology course, which you can only guess what we're going to talk about all the time. But uh, <laughs> yeah, things have been things have been good. Um, added a, a couple families to our midst, and and so that's awesome. We, we definitely still feel like we're in that very infant stage of finding our footing, 
getting, you know, wording around our message, uh, you know, starting elder training, all of those things. So a little bit for me is I feel like I'm drinking from the church planting fire hydrant. And, <laughs> and so, oh yeah, it's, it, yeah, you just, you don't, it's a thing. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. And so my, my wife and I, we often feel like we're ships passing in the night. So that, that provides sure. some challenges as well. But, um, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Yeah. But there's, yeah. There's a lot Nothing of sweetness in those. There's a lot of sweetness in the early years of a church being planted, and they're also really hard years at the same time. And yeah, indeed, yeah. And there's a lot yeah. that could be said about that. And, and we may do a podcast at some point on the first five years or something, um, because right. it's it's give, real. Give me four it, more it years. Is. Yeah. Well, and honestly, <laughs> like in the first when you're when you're planting a church. You do. You often you see the best in people, uh, particularly your your core families, the way that they sacrifice and they give and they serve. Uh, but honestly, mm. being bivocational, which all of us I think have experienced, what it does for Still me am. is it gives me a level uh, yeah. gives me a level of compassion that I did not have before in full time ministry. Where when I ask somebody yeah. to do thing to, to to do something, either to to preach in my stead or to uh, plan some particular event or to facilitate a group. Like I know what it's like to have that that pressure of a full forty to fifty hour a week job plus a family, and then trying to do ministry. So yeah. uh, I'm grateful well, it, for all the things that I'm learning. I just wish it would slow down a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> here yeah. we are. When it also it does give you perspective, as you've already alluded to, and it it works on you in such a way that when things do begin to shift and you're able to give more of your time toward the ministry of the church, you're just more grateful for it. And I think it, it humbles you, it tempers you, and even in terms of your expectations. So there's a lot of value in it that I think, uh, in refining that happens in that bivocational yeah. season. And I'm not saying that everybody yep. needs to do bivocational church planting. I mean, that's not at all what no, I'm saying. No. I mean, if you get sent out of a good church and you're fully funded, praise be to God. But yeah. You know, if you do find yourself in a bivocational situation, the Lord will use it. Yeah. yeah. I will say that as Jimmy is experiencing, there are a lot of emotional highs and emotional lows. Your emotions right. run rampant when you're a church planner. Yeah. Well, and you, sure. I mean, let's just, let's feel in all kind of like ways, this. dude. Yeah. You, you, there are days where you feel really good and there are days yeah. that you don't feel good at all. And there are days when fact, you've lost I, I that I know when those days are happening because I get a text from Jimmy and it's typically like three worries. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Better call him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I quit. You, well, now that you Jimmy, there are times you don't feel like a very good pastor. Is that what you're saying? You don't mm. feel. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are times that I don't feel very good. <laughs> Everybody's got JP. feels. JP. I'm, you, I'm uh, ready, guys. Why don't you, I'm use, ready. That, why don't you we, use that transition to bring us in? We're popcorning <laughs> We're it around it all over the place. All right, so. We're throwing it. Feel, feel, feel. Brothers and sisters, listeners of Theocast, today we're going to be talking about feelings. Feelings and faith. So what prompted us to have this conversation is a video that was put up on social media in the last few weeks by Together for the Gospel. It's a clip of John Piper from 2018's conference. And uh, it's about a two-minute clip of the message that, of, you know, two-minute clip of, from the message that he gave in that, 
at conference two years ago. And he is making the argument that it is futile to try to define saving faith apart from feelings. And many people on Twitter in particular, because that's the platform where I think the three of us are probably most active, um, many people on Twitter in the Reformed world, in the confessional world, grabbed hold of that that clip and were assessing it and, and talking about whether it was helpful or not. And the three of us started texting each other pretty much immediately. And I know we had conversations in my own home, my wife and I did. I know you guys probably did the same and in conversations even in in my local church here in Asheville. And and I trust that at Grace Reformed and, and Christ Community, you guys were doing the same thing. And so I, I'm not going to bury the lead here. Uh, we don't want to do that. We are concerned that the things that John Piper articulates in that particular video clip undermine rest in Christ. They undermine assurance. And they, un- they put a burden on sinners that sinners, frankly, just cannot bear. And that's the conversation we want to have today is about not that video. We, we want to have a much bigger conversation than that one video clip, but we want to talk today about feelings and faith and how it is that, that we're saved ultimately, but even how we would go about defining faith in Christ that produces and gives rest. So yeah. I, kind of teeing it up that way, John, why don't you go ahead and John or Jimmy, either one guys jump in. Yeah, well, we just had a recording today. Today's a Wednesday afternoon, uh, a little bit different recording time for us. So today means that Theocast came out with an episode. Today is uh, Radical Faith. We're normally about three or four weeks ahead. And um, when when we decided to have this conversation, the one thought that came to my mind was, John Piper is very clear on how someone is saved. Um. Sure. There, it's yeah. he, he will. Yeah. He he fits into the I would say the evangelical historical and I would even say the Calvinistic um, faith as it relates sure. to someone going from death to to life. He holds to the utter depravity of the human heart. He holds to the absolute sovereignty of God and election and predestination. Sure. Uh, he holds to limited atonement, so he understands that it's specifically paid for that person's soul, their sins, imputation. So <clears throat> what's what's hard is that he gets what I would say some of the core foundation issues correct. And then where Theocast has kind of found our home and where we feel most helpful to the the conversations that are happening in the broader evangelical world is pulling the clutter off of the gospel, that which causes weight and confusion. And I would say John Piper is not preaching a gospel here that is heretical, and much of what he says in that sermon is correct. But just because what someone may say, you know, 75% of something that is correct— and that 25% that they add at the end is so confusing and so deflecting and so uh, different than, than the, where the foundation is that you often, you, the, the foundation then crumbles under the very weight that you have put on top of it. And so I would say this whole idea of sure. John Piper, this, he's assuming 
on on the front end, he's assuming a proper evangelical reformed doctrine of salvation, and then I would I would or at say least of he, justification of justification, Correct. yes. And then there's I think the radicalness of sola fide. He's he's almost trying to explain it away. That's the easiest, like to give him credit for the brilliant man that he is and the smart, compassionate, generous sure. man that he is. I think there's a side of him that he's trying to explain away the radicalness of sola fide. So that's that I would I would start there. And it's it's important to remember in this conversation to just for for those that are listening here what we're not trying to do is is tear down a brother and his ministry and the way that he has served yeah. uh, over the course of a few decades that is not at all what we're what we're trying to say at all as well as we we also want to keep in mind context and this is it's really difficult like I'm always a little fearful I don't know if you guys feel this way I'm always a little fearful like if an outsider listens to to something that I say in a sermon, uh, yeah. cause it, it's almost, yeah. it's a little bit of that. You don't go to our church. If you're an outsider, you don't, you don't attend our church. You right. don't know the context of the things that are happening in the body, the things that, uh, that I'm aware of as a pastor that I need to kind of tailor my sermon towards and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and so I think there's, there's a little bit still in this evangelical world. Uh, something we like to say is that Evangelicalism is a pietistic movement. It's the water we swim in, and it is the air we breathe. It, it, yeah. it, it is just everywhere. And, and what I mean by that is, in a pietistic world, the focus so often becomes the interior of the Christian, what yeah. is happening in your feelings and your quote-unquote affections. That was a buzzword for, for many, many years. And sure. there's Still this is. heightened... Yeah, there's this heightened sense of trying to weed out those who are perhaps faking it or who perhaps are, you know, of us or among us, but they're not of us kind of thing. And it's it's this overly acute desire to have a quote-unquote pure church, which I think all of us sure. want. However, often what, what happens there is it's kind of the wheat and the tares parable where— we see, or the wheat and the weeds, if you will, we see that there's weeds among the wheat, which is clear. And, and what we want to do as, a, as an overzealous farmhand is we just want to start cutting it down. And what does Jesus yeah. say in that parable? Well, don't do that. You're going to, don't do that. You're going to cut down the wheat as well as the weeds. Right. And so my fear and my concern is in a short clip like that, not only is it ripped out of context, so we need to be mindful of that, but also when it was tweeted out, it was tweeted out in in sort of this authoritative, this is truth, you should listen sense. And so what what happens, uh, unfortunately, is people will listen to that. And where does it point them ultimately? Well, it's this navel-gazing interior focus. That exactly. it's me, 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 me. What do what do I feel? What do I feel? Because it wasn't. Well, and don't hear us trying to vilify feelings at all. But it it was such this authoritative, strong statement that 
saving faith without feelings or particular feelings, a particular set of feelings, was futile. And so I don't know if you, you guys want to jump on that, JP, if you want to jump in and discuss a little bit more. Yeah, I want to piggyback on a couple of things that you said. That I, I do feel what you were saying about the, the fact that this is a two-minute clip of a probably 50 to 60-minute message. The one thing that I would say about that in, in trying to be reasonable here is that the, the video clip was tweeted out for the entire world to see. And it, it was promoted right. as like, hey, here's, here's why you should come to this conference, you know, even. And because you, you're going to hear things like this. And like you even said, Jimmy, there's kind of an, a, an authoritative tone, you know, and feel to the thing. And, and so we wouldn't be interacting with this at all. I mean, at least this particular video clip, this idea of, of, of faith and feelings we want to interact with, of course, but we wouldn't be talking about this particular video today were it not tweeted out for everybody to see. And so yeah. that's just that one observation, you know, that, that when you make things public, then, and you're going to say things in such an authoritative fashion, then for others to come in and evaluate it biblically, and then even according to the rule of faith and the history of interpretation that's existed in the church for 2,000 years is fair game. And that's what we're yeah. trying to do today. And yeah. I, would, I want to say a couple more things about pietism before we maybe move this conversation forward. Pietism really, in its, its beginnings, it really essentially was an obsession with feelings and affections. It was a, a hyper-emphasis on feelings about Jesus and affections for Jesus. And those things being the emphasis and in the center of attention, you know, in in the Christian life. And as we've said so many times, and you already alluded to, Jimmy, you even talked about this with respect to this video. Where is the Christian pointed ultimately in this? The Christian is pointed inward to examine his or her heart, to examine his or her feelings and affections. And the concern with that, not that we should never examine ourselves and not that, that introspection is bad, but when that becomes the emphasis, it's, it's very concerning. And I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to quote some of this stuff later, uh, but I'm just immediately thinking about how my own feelings, and this is true for everybody, feelings vacillate by the moment and they ebb and Correct. flow like yeah. crazy. And this is why yeah. God's people through history have always found great comfort in the fact that our our assurance and confidence and our security is found in God, not us. It's found in the sufficiency mm-hmm. of Christ and not, not our sufficiency. It's found in the fact that though my emotions change all the time, like Jehovah never does, you know? And so yeah. that's, that's the thing that's hard here is that it, it seems to be undermining the, the foundation of Christian confidence altogether. Yeah, I put out a tweet last week or two weeks ago that said, every breath you take is riddled. It's filled with sin against your father, which, you know, got a little bit of traction. Some people were struggling with that. Like, well, how, even when you're preaching, I was like, absolutely. Even when you're praying, yes. It doesn't matter. And here's where we struggle. And this is where, you know, thank the Lord, Luther was able to bring some clarity here about the differences between us as a saint that which is inspired and in, or sorry and filled by the spirit and that part of us that is still waiting for glorification we don't live in glorified bodies so you 
because of your nature, you can't love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You can't love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do that perfectly because within our nature, we still have selfishness and we still have ambition and we still have pride and arrogancy and laziness. So to say that, right. So the question, which has always been, you know, the one thing we've always kind of thrown back to uh, some of the confusion I feel that, that Piper kind of clutters this assurance area is how much emotions needs to be tilted. Is it a 50, 50? Is it a 60, 40? No, at what point do you say, okay, I can have assurance because my emotions and affections meet this level? And if you, yeah. that again, and I also want to say, where in scripture will you point me to that will create that watermark that I have to hit? Correct. Which I, that will I'm going to point you to some confession. Yeah, I'm going to point yeah. you to I'm going to point you to some confessions, but and and which is derivative of scripture. But I, I'm going to have a hard time looking at scripture saying I can find the watermark of my emotions and my affections without finding me assurance. Yeah. We are excited to announce that we have a new free ebook available at our website called Faith versus Faithfulness: A Primer on Rest. And we, the host, put this together to explain the difference between emphasizing one's faith in Christ versus emphasizing one's faithfulness to Christ, and how one leads to rest and how the other often to a lack of assurance. And you can get this at theocast.org slash primer. And if you've been encouraged by what you've been hearing at Theocast, we'd ask you to help partner with us. You can do that by joining our Total Access membership. That's our monthly membership that gives you access to all of our material that we've produced over the last four years, or simply by donating to our ministry. You can do that by going to our website, theocast.org. We hope that you enjoy the rest of the conversation. Yeah, so uh, that's really good, John. I I remember when I was kind of coming up in the young restless reform movement, and one of the favorite verses to be thrown around was Jeremiah 17, 9. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? Where it was really, that, in the context that I was in, that, that verse was being lobbed a, against kind of a more, dare I say, charismatic, feely-based sort of faith uh, and, and, and trying to, you know, bring people back to rich doctrinal truths. And, and yet, what was so ironic is that the, the young restless reform movement, particularly that I was part of, we would quote this verse. You know, we loved Jeremiah 17, and we loved Romans 9 as well. Uh, but hmm. particularly Jeremiah 17, we love to throw this in people's faces. We love to throw this out. And yet, the way that we, quote-unquote, discipled people, the way that we ministered to people, we pointed them to the area that we told them to hate or to not trust. We, exactly. we pointed them— we pointed the, them to the, the area, area that you're telling them is desperately sick. Yeah, the area that we're that we're telling you is sick, in need of healing, in need of saving. We're t- we're asking you to to look there for for some sort of comfort, you know. So so let me just kind of share a an analogy. Yesterday, I spent a good good chunk of the afternoon after work in urgent care with my son. He had kind of got a nice little stub toe and turns out, you know, he kicked his nail in and it was all sorts of gross, all kinds of nasty down there. And it would be like me telling my son to look at his 
toe, which was all bruised and bloody and and just kind of gross, and just say, hey, buddy, like, see how healthy you are? Look at that toe. Like, look at that toe. Isn't that that just a wonderful sign of health? And it would be like, well, dad, you're, you're insane. He could, I mean, he was limping so bad. And yet this is often what we do is in one hand, and we, we talk about this all the time, in one hand, we will tell people how desperately sick they are and in need of a savior. And then often the medicine that we give them is to go within, go deep dive within your yeah. own soul and within your own heart and try to find some sort of comfort. Well, the enemy loves that. He's like, well, great. This is my territory. You know, exactly. I'd, I'd love for you to come to my camp. <laughs> um, and so I don't know if you guys want to speak to that or a little bit more or perhaps take it on a different angle. So we've already alluded to the saint center reality that has been articulated by many people through history. I mean, Martin Luther is perhaps most noted for it. The, the mm-hmm. phrase from the Reformation, simul justus et peccator, at the same time saint and sinner, at the same time justified and, and sinner, that has all kinds of ramifications and implications for this conversation. Because I think every redeemed person through history would acknowledge that because I am, I am born again, right? I am a, a new creation in Christ, yet at the same time, I'm still battling the corruption that I inherited from Adam. Like those things are true of me. And so in my inner man, I mean, I'm thinking about Romans 7, of course. I'm thinking about Galatians 5, 17. In my inner man, I delight in the law of God. There's a feeling word. Like I delight yeah. in, I love God's truth. And I want to do all these good things. So I think every Christian ever, would say, I want to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want mm-hmm. to love my neighbor as myself. I want to be like filled with gratitude toward God, love toward God, affection toward God. You know, I want to be humble before the Lord. I mean, we could keep saying, I want to feel all of these things toward God. The problem is we battle the flesh and we yeah. battle our inherent corruption. And so to use the language of the apostle Paul, we do not always do what we want to do. We do not always yeah. feel what we want to feel. Yeah. The flesh waging war against our spirit keeps us from doing what we want to do is what Galatians five seventeen says explicitly. And that's, that reality is so critical for us to hold here. Uh, that, that intention with what, what we're talking about with respect to affections. Because, so if, if Piper, for example, were to say that any Christian wants to, da, 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 but yet we often struggle to, I would be like, brother, absolutely, I, I completely yeah. agree with you. The problem is we don't feel, yeah, the problem is we don't feel what we want to feel and we don't feel what we should feel. And so then the question is, as we've already alluded to, where in the world is our hope and our confidence and our assurance? Because if you're pointing me to my feelings, the authenticity of them, the realness of them, the level of them, how much is enough? How could I ever know that I'm feeling a sufficient amount of these things? Because again, it's going to change. It's going to be different tomorrow than it is today. And I can't even explain that to you as to why that's the case. Because I wake up some days and I'm thinking, I am just not feeling it today. Like I even was yesterday. And I think that's the normal experience for the believer. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. So if you, if you look at the Apostle Paul and he writes to the Corinthian church, who, historically speaking, all three of us would agree that they were very confused in their affections. They were no doubt they were running, they were running after the wrong gifts. They were running after the wrong sexual pleasures. They were running after money. I mean, it was all kinds they, of. They had misunderstood were... Christian freedom. They think yeah. that celebrating, yeah. you know, they're celebrating sin, you know, all that. Yeah. yeah. But yet Paul does not write to them in such a way where he's trying to shake them in their assurance. He actually uses the gospel and says, it's the gospel that I want to preach to you, and then uses mm-hmm. the love of God for them as the way to correct the issue, is that, listen, right. God's yeah. affections towards you, God's consistent emotional affection, whatever, you know, we can get into the emotions of God at another time, but we'll say the affections of God towards you, which are constant, ever-flowing, and according to John 17, it is the same affection that he has for the Son. He says that he loves us the way that he has loved the son it is there excuse me it is there that we as the believer find the true sense of our foundation let me just read to you justin i know you have something here in a minute but i'm gonna read to you the uh the lbc confession 1689 it's 18.4 and these confessions are important because we have when it comes down to, if we, if we were to take all of the Reformed confessions, and when it comes to assurance, and when it comes to uh, proper understanding of justification, we're going to agree here. And point four, it says this, true believers may in various ways have the assurance of their salvation shaken, decreased, or temporarily lost. This may happen because they neglect to preserve it or fall into some specific sin that wounds their conscience and grieves the spirit. What they are making room for is the frailty of the believer. We are frail creatures. This is why we reference things like Galatians 6, because we as believers, our affections and our emotions can absolutely be captured by the temptations of sin and pulled away at a point to where faithful, loving Christians have to come and rebuke us and pull us out. Absolutely. So the question, so, so we could say Mr. Piper is correct in that, if the Spirit lives within you, you will have these newfound affections. But they aren't a constant Absolutely. flow that ever that is ever sure. unmovable. That's yeah. unless, If he doesn't mean that, then, of course, Desiring God and some of his other books um, uh, and his well-known sermons, he, he kind of needs to create that, that similiusis a peccator feeling in there, but it doesn't really feel—that's not the feeling I'm getting from a lot of the most, most, most of his material. Yeah, Jimmy, are you okay if I jump in with a little bit of 1689 while we're here, and then yeah. we can yeah, move forward? Go ahead. Cool. I've got I've got a couple so, things after that, but go ahead. Excellent. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to try to do this quickly. I'm I'm reading portions of of two or three different paragraphs from chapter 13 on sanctification and chapter 14 on saving faith as they articulate it. So this is 13.2, talking about sanctification and just pointing out the realities that we have been highlighting. This sanctification extends throughout the whole person though it is never completed in this life, some corruption remains in every part. From this arises a continual and irreconcilable war with the desires of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. They go on in paragraph three to say, in this war, the remaining corruption may greatly prevail for a time. That's, that's huge. That the, yeah. the war of the flesh against the spirit, the flesh may prevail for a time. Certainly that would mean that our affections are not right. 
They go on. Yet, through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part overcomes. So the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear or reverence of God. They pursue a heavenly life in gospel obedience to all the commands that Christ as head and king has given them in his word. But that acknowledgement that the flesh may prevail for a season is critical. And then finally this, the definition of saving faith, chapter 14, paragraph two, this is a portion of it. These words are excellent. The principal acts of saving faith focus directly on Christ, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. So there you have that. Directly on Jesus, the words used are accepting, receiving, and resting on him alone and for everything, justification, sanctification, and glorification, eternal life, all by virtue of the covenant of grace, not works. And so it's very helpful that that's, that's defining faith biblically is as looking outside of yourself completely to Jesus alone for everything that you could ever need in order to be finally saved. Yeah. Jimmy, go ahead, man. Well, I, I mean, I just want to speak a little bit from my experience. Uh, I remember severely battling through all of these things uh, in college, uh, being part of that specific context. And I just remember asking the people who were kind of influential in my life and and this is nothing against them. They were very helpful for the season that I was in. And uh, I do think that they loved me, that they cared for me, that they wanted what was best for me. But I mean, I just remember, you know, reviewing these conversations years later where, you know, I would ask, how can I know? I mean, how can I know that I am feeling the right things or that that I'm saved? And And the response that I typically would get is, well, you know, they respond with the question, do you, do you feel that you love God? Do you, do you feel this? Do you feel that? Well, sometimes, and they say, well, then we'll just look, we're just looking for a pattern. Like, is there a pattern? Right. A general Which trajectory. In my brain, I'm like, whatever. Yeah. Is there a, is there a trajectory of onward and upward? And my response to that was always, well, how much, how, how much trajectory am I, exactly. am I supposed to have? And, and finally, <laughs> It, it wasn't until, you know, one of the, I remember one of my friends, he sent this to me a, a few years back, and I was like, where has this been all my life? And, uh, you know, shout out to our, you know, denominationally reformed brothers and sisters that hold the three forms of unity. Uh, but the Heidelberg yeah. Catechism, question 60, is so weighty and good and something that I return oh, to it's time amazing. and time again. It's amazing. Where the question is this, how are you righteous before God? And the answer is only by true faith in Jesus Christ, so that Mm -hmm. though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and have kept none of them and am still inclined to all evil, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so, as if I had never committed any sin, yes, as if I had fully accomplished all the obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Again, when I was asking these questions of how can I know, how can I know, what if I don't feel these things? I wish somebody would have just pointed me to that, those truths. Exactly. Things that you can bank and rest on. Go ahead, John. Yeah. One of my deacons I know 
he, he probably will listen to this. I can remember early on. So he's br- a very new believer, and he kept hearing me talk about the glory of Jesus Christ and the wonder. We were in Ephesians at the time, and just he he, he finally got up enough courage and said, "Hey, John, I, I'm just I'm just going to be real with you, man. Like when you say the word Jesus, it does nothing for me. I don't know who he is." I don't know anything about it. I mean, I believe I'm a Christian. I, I believe like he died on the cross, but the whole, like I believe in God, but this whole thing about you saying like, like the, 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 the sweetest, the joy of, of the, the kindness, none of that. Like I just, like it does nothing for me <laughs> to which I could then say, well, then maybe you're not a Christian, right? I could have said, because yeah, you are trying sure. to have these affections for Jesus. And what I begin to help them do is understand that, through time and through exposure of the gospel, you're you're going to have one a knowledge base of of trust, which then, in the midst of pain and suffering, you will then understand what does it mean to rest in this absolute foundational, rock solid love of Christ for you. And you know, just going back to, I'm reading the tweet again. It says, "Defines having faith apart from feelings." Um. Do are there people in history who have these emotional experiences where they go from it could be a horrible life or could just be a, a massive um, struggle with doubt to this overwhelming assurance and they 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 just these feelings and affections come flowing out of them? Yes, but I will tell you this, and every guy around here has probably experienced those overflowing emotions at points in their life. I, my, every day doesn't feel like that to me. The other day it did, two yeah. weeks ago. J- Justin, remember when we did the podcast a couple weeks ago and we were just talking yeah. about how you had read Jeremiah and I had read this idea yeah. about was the last glory of week, Christ. Man. And it was last week and it, there was like this emotional high I had, but I don't live sure. there. As a matter of fact, most of the time I don't live there. Uh, most of the time I've struggled to, 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 to find my hope in Christ because my emotions are elsewhere. Yeah. So the good news is the fact that we are saved by Jesus, not our feelings about him. I think we yeah. can all agree that that's a good news. Agreed. <laughs> and the Much reality is... Resolved. Say, yeah. <laughs> the, the reality, like John just depicted, and I alluded to this earlier, and, and Jimmy, I know you agree, is that there are seasons, there are, there are moments, there are days, hours, and seasons of our lives where we do kind of have those waves of joy just washing over our hearts and souls. We're, we're, we're joyful, we're satisfied, we're thrilled, we're moved, and, and those moments are fantastic. And, and I know that we all wish we had more of them. But then for every one of those moments, we probably have several where those waves are just not washing over our soul, that the tide has gone out. And it's like, man, I don't, I don't know where my Right. My feelings for the Lord are today, but I, I can't I can't find them. And in those moments, often I'm prompted, like you brothers are, to pray and and ask the Lord to to work and move in my heart and the rest. But I want to be fair, you know, to to John Piper. I mean, he did write a book called "When I Don't Desire God," but he had to write that book. <laughs> he seriously though, he had to write that yeah. book because of the things that he had written and said in so many other situations. Because he, he paints a picture of the only way that, that you're legitimate is if you treasure Jesus above all things, to which, like, humbly, I would say, bro, if, 
I want to treasure Christ above all things. If you're, if you're saying you, you want to treasure Christ above all things, okay. But if you're saying that the only way you're a legitimate Christian is if you treasure Jesus above all things, it's like, well, I guess I'm going to hell and everybody else that yeah. I know is too. And, yeah. right. and so you have to, he's, he's put himself in a position where he has to clarify what he means. And it's like, look, I, I don't desire God with all my heart all the time. And so I'm not saying what it seems like I'm saying. And uh, yeah. I could say more about that. John Piper yeah, to, does not know, mean that you always feel perfectly about God, but what we're asking and pressing for is clarity and precision of yeah. language so that you don't yeah. confuse yeah. And people. And I know, I know on, on YouTube, you're, we're going to get comments and on Facebook and, and people are going to come to his defense and say, you're not, you're not listening That's to what fine. he's saying. And, and all I have to say is that Theocast is not the only one making this observation. This has been a no, criticism of Jonathan Edwards. This has been a criticism of John Piper for many, many years that um, I will tell you this right now. To this day, my, my I credit John Piper for the for this amazing joy I have in the sovereignty of God. I mean, the way he it, described same, it when absolutely. I was yeah. when I was coming out of same. the Arminian, you know, pit, he, he just created so much affection and desire. And I just right. I loved I loved his passion and his patience and his kindness, and so please Absolutely. please don't think that this is a a, a Piper bashing moment. But I, I will no. say let's we all even three just go back him. to scripture. Yeah, yeah. Let's all let's go to scripture and just say, hey, on on a broad level, the imprecatory psalms that are in there, even the songs of struggle, and I mean, you just go read Psalm like Psalms like Psalm five, or even even David when he writes Psalm fifty one. There is a there. David went for a very long period of time. I mean, you have to think about it. It wasn't a twenty-four hour period from the narrative that David went from uh, the the desire to killing the husband to you know. I mean, it was there was so. I mean, even to the point where the prophet Nathan finally had to come up and say, oh, "Dude, okay, a- apparently you aren't seeing what you're doing." So I'm, I'm going to have to tell you and. Yeah. What does God say after that? What does God say about David? He's still a man after his own heart, meaning that David that David didn't somehow prove himself to be an unbeliever. So there's just a side where what I think ends up happening is, um, and we have this, where people look at the failures of their life, and instead of looking to something outside of themselves and repenting to it, I believe a lot of people hear this kind of message from Piper because I know this for a fact because we get emails and phone calls and, and Facebook messages about this, that it causes people to stay longer in sin and longer in in not pursuing uh, <laughs> a restoration and longer in doubt because they don't feel right. like it's achievable. Like it's it's an right. unachievable goal. That's exactly right. It's unattainable. Well, and and I would I would add to that, there is no better way to avoid loving your neighbor than spending all of your time in your prayer closet trying to sort out your own emotions. Yeah. I mean, just to be sure. really honest, is that and that and that is one of my big complaints. Um, I, maybe complaints is the wrong words, but you know, one of my big assessments of that whole feelings based movement, if you will the hedonistic movement is is essentially it has over grossly i think become an individualization and privatization of the christian life where it is an yeah, intense yeah. focus on the individual and 
his or yeah. her feelings ra- rather and his or her than, own joy. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Ra- rather than you know rejoicing and resting in the objective truths, uh, and I think something we can per- perhaps talk about in the in the members podcast is we're not even considering the fact that man, I just know people they're just not emotional. They are non-emotive people, or they perhaps have some sort of condition hormonally, physically, mm-hmm. mentally, that just does not allow them to feel things that, dare I say, average normal people feel. And so what, do you, what are we supposed to do with that? You know, sure. Uh, so yeah, well, maybe that's a, something we could talk about As later. a good example to that, Jimmy, the, one of the former hosts, Ryan Haskins, I've known him for eight plus years now, and he's like... I don't know if I've ever seen him cry or e- yeah. like show any other emotion than just kind of what we call as Ryan. And so, you know, Challenge my accepted. poor friend Ryan, I'd be like, <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> well, I, maybe Ryan's not saved. You know? Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> there you go, Ryan. Hope you're listening, boy. <laughs> two, two thoughts, two thoughts real quick. Um, yeah. And then I'm probably gonna have to quote my boy Horatius Bonar before we do go over to the, Come uh, on. the, the members. Gotta podcast. do it. I'll do that. I'll do that at some point in a minute. So two thoughts here from me. They're not exactly related, but they were prompted by things you guys were saying. Jimmy, you were talking about how Christian hedonism and, and being in your prayer closet, obsessing over your own feelings really hinders love of neighbor. I, I'm going to make a more broad statement about pietism. I think pietism, this, this hyper-focus on our affections or our obedience, our performance, and the, the, unachievable standard that that sets for the Christian. That kind of thing, pietism kills honesty in the church, in relationships. Like we're told to confess sin to one another. Well, James 5.16 is going to be destroyed by pietism because nobody's going to tell the truth about themselves because it's like, if I did, what would people think? So pietism kills honesty in the church. And I would say it's interesting that pietistic contexts are obsessed with sanctification and pietism hinders sanctification because it, it is all about me. I'm less likely to confess sin than my brothers and sisters. I'm less likely to lean into the church and the fellowship of the saints the way God designs. I'm not, I'm not calling it like it is. I'm, I'm painting a false picture of my own reality. And so our real true sanctification is hindered by that nonsense. And the other thought that I wanted to say, and I'll kick it over to you, John, Piper's line, you know, famous tagline is God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. I, I might want to rephrase that somewhat and say that I'm not going to say most glorified because I'm not going to, I'm not going to presume on that piece. I will say this. God is tremendously glorified when we are most mindful of our need of him. And in particular, when we are most mindful and aware of our need of Jesus. So if we want to glorify God, one of the ways that we can do that in our daily lives, and certainly when we gather as churches, is to confess together the fact that we are sin-sick wretches who are absolutely desperate for Christ and His work in our place. And I am confident, based on Scripture, that God is very glorified in that confession. And I would wager to say that He is more glorified in that than He is us being satisfied, you know, in, Hmm. in our relationship with Him. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the confession of sin and even corporate confession of sin, which Paul says, confess your sins to one another, which I guarantee you, I grew up in a church context where that only happened when you're in like intense counseling moments and you're confessing it to the sure. pastor to get help. But we do this as a congregation. I know you guys do that. We corporately confess 
before our neighbors to each other the absolute yeah. need of forgiveness. And, and in doing that, what it does is it constantly, and prayer is also a, a moment of dependence because you're opening your heart and your yes. mind and your soul to, requ- to request something. Uh, but I will say for those of you, if you're new to Theocast and if you haven't downloaded Faith versus Faithfulness, a primer on rest, this is, I would say, you know, I think it's like 10,000, 12,000 words, something like that. This is what we're trying to get at. So if you don't understand this is why we wrote it, and this is why it was right. written. And Jimmy did an excellent job at the very, so in the, in the middle section, Justin does a great job of explaining the difference between a pietistic context or church and a reformed, or we would say a restful confessional perspective. Confessional, yeah. Um, yeah. And then at the end, Jimmy does a really good job of kind of pulling the clutter off of the gospel to saying, mm-hmm. listen, this, if you want to know what brings you rest, this is it. So just go read that last section. Uh, so I'd encourage you to do that. And then Justin, or Jimmy, sorry, Justin, you actually uh, were answering a question. I think we should jump into the members podcast and do. We actually have a Facebook group that's growing. If you want to go over, just type in Theocast and you'll f- see the Facebook group. We, uh, once in a while, we'll jump in there and let you know what we're recording. And so we did today. And we received like five, six questions. One of those was, okay, in light of this tweet by Piper, what's your overall thoughts on the whole kind of premise of Piper's ministry. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about so. that mm-hmm. and some of the other questions that we received. Um, so if you want to join can, us over there, you can. Can I throw Can I throw a Bonar quote out there from one of his hymns really quick? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you close that it I, That I probably cite about one out of every 10 episodes, but I'm just going to, for the people that are new, <laughs> I want to cite it. So it. Horatius Bonar, Scottish minister in the 1800s, is more famous for his hymns and his sermons. And the guy is absolutely spot on about basically the reality of the sufficiency of Jesus and the safety that we have in him. He's got a book called God's Way of Peace, a book for the anxious that I would commend to everybody. But in his hymn called I Hear the Words of Love, the last two verses go this way, and they're very short. My love is oft times low. My joy still ebbs and flows. But peace with him remains the same. No change, Jehovah knows. Then the last verse goes, I change, he changes not. The Christ can never die. His love, not mine, the resting place. His truth, not mine, the tie. And that's an old hymn. The tune is, I mean, it's a reasonably sweet tune, but it is not like some contemporary like jam sesh hymn. And that song is one of the most beloved songs at Covenant Baptist Church because it, it's so good in pointing the saints outside of themselves to God in Christ and knowing that we're safe. And it, it, has, it acknowledges that our feelings will falter, but that God has us. And it's just very sweet. All right. Well, that's, I think, a great way to end it. So for those of you that are new, you can go to our theocast.org right up there at the top. It'll say free book. You can grab that. And then also, if you want a 14-day trial, listen to our next conversation, which we are going to continue. You can do that by joining our membership. Uh, For those of you that have been supporting us, thank you so much. We're excited about the future. Stay tuned. We've got a lot of big announcements coming your way. We'll see you next week.